There is a belief that within our society that happiness is a God-given right. That's just not true. God has not come to make you happy. God has come to fill you with joy. This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. This week, the cost of discipleship is in view as lead pastor Rick Nicely continues his series, The Book of Luke, and a message from Luke 14, 25 through 35, shared with the congregation at Spotswood at Ladysmith on October 14, 2018. Follow with me in Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. I want to say something before I say this, is that um, what you ministry, you see the crowds gathering, and we see him really give, if you will, tougher and tougher words to the crowds. I, I love this line. I stole this from a guy who uh, I listen to occasionally out west, and he says, um, we teach through the scriptures, and Jesus has tough words, and tough words make soft hearts because soft words make hard hearts. And so I think the reality is people want to know the truth. And many times we dance around it, we, we try to sugarcoat it, and the reality is we just need to let the Word of God say what it says and communicate what it says. And so that's what we're going to do today. So just know that um, as we teach. And this is in Luke 14, 25 through 35. It says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own uh, father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, uh, come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first set down and count the cost, rather he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not set down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 uh, 10, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while they are, um, the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any of you who, uh, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no uh, use either for the soil or for the manure power. pile. Sorry, It is thrown away. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let me, uh, as, I, as you guys know, I usually start out with a big idea and leave you with a big question. The big idea today is this. Jesus is warning us and getting us to guard against making good things the ultimate thing which will destroy both. In other words, this. If we make good things the ultimate thing, it ends up not just destroying us, it ends up destroying that thing as well. Okay, But if we would put our, our source of hope in the ultimate thing, Jesus Christ, the ultimate person, Jesus Christ, 
then as the scripture says, if you seek me and my kingdom, all these things will be added to you. In other words, it's in the right order, then things fall into place. So let's begin in verse 25. It says this, now great crowds accompanied him and, and he turned and he said to them. I know again, as we look at Jesus, we can't imagine, but we're talking about thousands of people in a very small, small area, a space, almost like a, an amphitheater or maybe a large crowd outside of a building gathering. And, you know, most people, if you're going to grow a ministry, they usually like to say good, nice, sweet things, right, to, to focus on those things. But again, we see Jesus, he goes straight forward. He says, if you cannot hate your own father and mother and wife and children, you cannot be one of my disciples. I want to kind of give you an overview of what we're really talking about today. It's this idea. There's a great temptation in many of our lives is this, to make our family our God. Okay? And there's another great temptation that also, and it's this idea of pursuit of happiness over the pursuit of joy. And so when we make our family, our relationships, our God, then we're getting things mixed up. I always say um, there are gifts of life, and then there's a source of life. The gifts of life are, are mother, father, son, daughter, wife, husbands, friends, relatives, maybe uh, deep connections with coworkers, whatever that may be. Those are gifts. Even a home can be a gift. But the source of life, there's only one, God himself, Jesus Christ. And until we get that in place, we're going to pursue these other things. So this, this idea of, he's basically saying, beware of making your family your God. Beware of making your family your God. Anyone who comes to Jesus, you're going to see this phrase over and over in um, the slides today. Anyone who comes to Jesus must perform prefer God over his family. He must prefer God over his family. Verse 26, again, it says this, if anyone would come, comes to me and does not hate his mother, I'm sorry, his father and mother and wife and children, even brothers and sisters, yet even his own life cannot be my disciple. So in verse 26, we see this, if anyone comes to me, this, this idea, it's really this idea of an expression of faith. It's really this picture of salvation. In other words, when you come to Jesus, you must humble yourself before God. As we talked about last week, there must be a change of mind and a change of heart. There's a cognitive understanding, your, your way of changing. Now long, no longer trust yourself. You trust God and what he's written on his word, Okay. So we trust God and what he says, his provision for salvation. We don't trust in our own provision of good works or some kind of religious activities. Um, for that matter, we don't even say that there is no God because that itself is rejecting God's provision. So it's this idea of accepting the knowledge and, and work of what Jesus has done. And it's also a change of direction, this idea of a, an about face, a 180, this idea of repentance. So when you, somebody comes to Jesus, this is what he's saying. If you're going to come to me, you must turn away from yourself, your relationships, your possessions, and come to me because I am your source of life. And you're trying to put your source of life in all these things, 
and it cannot fill you up. Verse 26, he says, even hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Now, again, we got to get back to the original writings and really we have to use scripture to interpret scripture, okay? So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, who's your closest neighbor? Your spouse, your kids, right? Your husband, your wife, your family members, you may live in a household and sharing. It's this idea of your family. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your closest neighbors are your family, okay? So God can't be saying hate in the sense of what we're talking about hate, okay? It's this idea that it's a pecking order. There's a preference. God is saying that I must be first in your life. I must be first in your life. I must be first. So it's this idea, can Jesus really mean that he's saying hate? No, he's meaning love him first with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then, then love your neighbors. In other words, this idea of hate it really comes from a Semitic way of expressing preferences, okay? So the original word comes from a Semitic uh, term that really means preferences. It's a priority that you've got to get your priorities straight, that God has to be first in your life, then your family. And when you get that mixed up, <laughs> things go crazy. Things go crazy. Also this, all other loves, listen, all other loves must be subordinate to loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So if he doesn't mean hate, what does he really mean? I'm going to go to probably one of the most popular readings in, in the scriptures. You'll understand why I say that when I begin to read. Um, is in Ephesians 5, and it's verses 21. It's a joke, by the way, so you'll see what I'm talking about. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the most popular one right here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, so also wife and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. Listen, what we see here is this. I'm going to continue that in just a second. What we see here is this. We don't have time, but we need to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, okay? When God created man, he breathed life into him. He was different than any other creation God had made. He was an image bearer of God himself, okay? An icon, okay? This idea that he was to reproduce, and he was given the challenge to cultivate and work the land and bring order from, from things that were from chaos out in the wild to bring order just like it was in the Garden of Eden, okay? And then to multiply, then God gave him, it's, it said after a while that it was not good for man to be alone, he gave him a wife as a helpmate. And by the way, let me insert this, that word helpmate is the same word used in the Old Testament for the Lord to be a help to those who follow him, okay? We also, we, we, we taught this in We Are the Church series about this idea of elders and this idea of that there's roles in the way God set up, okay? And we talked about how Jesus said he did nothing on his own. He was submissive to the Father, 
right? He only did what his father said to do. And so in no way, shape, or form is Jesus somehow inferior to God the Father, is he? He's one, right? And just as a husband and life are one, wives are not somehow inferior to man. They are co-equal. They just have different roles, okay? They just have different roles. And so what he's saying here is this, this idea that I gave you, there is an order to things, okay? And so wives are to submit to their husbands. Listen, husbands are to love their wives as Christ does the church and gave himself up for her. Listen, husbands, if you have to read that top verse first, you've already, you're already lost, okay? You're already lost because the reality is this. Your love for her should be in such a servant mentality, in such a servant attitude that she will want to follow you, okay? Now, I am not up here saying that I have somehow perfected that, okay? Even as early as this morning, I struggle with that, okay? All right? But that is the aiming point. And so as Jesus, before he went to the cross, what did he do? He bent down. He was getting ready to lay down his life for his disciples, and he bent down and he washed disciples' feet. This is the attitude of Christ to be willing not only to lay his life down, but to serve them on a daily basis. This is the picture of husbands. You've got the tougher job. I'm going to just be honest. You've got the responsibility of loving her unconditionally and to love her like Christ does the church. And so this, that, we, that he might uh, sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives like their own bodies. And by the way, he gives us a reflection. If you hate your wife, there's something saying something about you. You, you must hate yourself, okay? Because the reality is it says right here that in the same way husbands Love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So if you love yourself, you better love her too. And you better love her with a servant attitude. Now listen, I'm again not saying here that I've arrived. This is something that God is constantly working on me personally in my life, is to fight for the bottom, not the top. And most of the time, I don't get it right, and I have to come back and apologize to her and apologize to my kids and apologize most of all to the Father in heaven, okay? I've got to get it right, but that doesn't mean I give up. This is the mandate. This is the target. I keep fighting for this spot, okay? This is what God's called us to do as husbands. In the same way, uh, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cared for it, cherished it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So it's these roles. Love and respect. And when you get off of those, your husband starts acting unloving. You start acting disrespectful. I call it the crazy cycle. Okay? And it just keeps happening. And you got to get off the crazy cycle. It calls, it's called repentance. Ask for forgiveness from the Father. Ask for forgiveness from your wife. And start over. Forgive. Practice the gospel. This is what God is saying that we must do. 
So understanding this, again, this idea of headship is not superiority or mean inferiority in any way. But what it means is that we have roles. And listen, I want you to understand, a spouse does not complete you, okay? There's no person out there that's going to completely complete you except for Jesus. We've taught this months ago too as well, that idea of shalom. It literally means to be complete. Jesus can make you a complete image bearer through the power of his Holy Spirit. He gives you his spirit. Now you can walk in that. Before that, you have no way to reflect the glory of the Father, to be an image bearer and to live that out because you are vacant of the Spirit of God. And you're also still in your, dead in your sins. But when he gives you freedom through the forgiveness of sins and now gives you the Holy Spirit, now not only are you forgiven and reconciled to the Father, you have now the ability to walk by the Spirit. So it's this picture of this. This is what he's saying. And then goes on. What about the kids? Verse 1 of 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. I don't know about that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. I don't know about you. I want to live a long life, okay? Now, I hope all the stuff that happened when I was a teenager, <laughs> I hope that is covered. But there's been a, a little bit better pattern in the last 20 years, which is great. But, uh, you know, the reality is this. Kids, I just want to tell you, you want to live a long life? Be obedient to your parents. That's what it says right here, okay? Live, be obedient. All right. Fathers, do not, listen, do not provoke your children to anger, but build them up, listen, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Listen, fathers, our goal should be to raise our kids, be disciple makers. We, listen, it's not, as you have a wife, it's not about getting the most from her. It's about pouring the most into her, Okay. As children, you need to replicate, as Christ is reflecting in you, you replicate that. You are to be the main discipler in the home. If you don't know how to do that, listen, we have lots of men in here can help you, okay? And again, we're not perfect. We're, we're going back to it. We missed the mark. We come back. We missed the mark. We come back, okay? But we're determined to live and be this model for our kids and our family. So it's this idea of replicating ourselves. And listen, it's to build up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is, this is the dilemma. See, when we make our spouse our God, we find ourselves being more and more let down because our spouses make, make great spouses, but they make terrible gods. In the end, every time we're let down, we're expecting them to fill a void in our lives that can only be filled by God. Now, it doesn't mean they don't have a responsibility. We see this, right? We see we have roles. There should be expectations in our spouse's life for each other. It's not like we let them get away with it, okay? You confront them, just like Matthew 18 talks about our brother and sister in Christ. For those who are living with someone who's an unbeliever, it talks about that as well, to pray for them and to live honorable before them, to be a witness to them. But we still have roles. But there's this idea that we cannot make them our God. Listen. Many times we do the same thing because many of us said, well, you know, I, I gave up my husband or wife a long time ago. I don't expect anything from him. Well, now we turn to our kids, right? And we make them our God. And we heap all the things that we should be 
putting priority in the Lord, we're heaping up on them. And let me tell you something, that's a dangerous place to be. Because then what we do is we replicate in our kids this idea that they are first. And they are the priority. Okay? And I can tell you, I played sports my whole life. And there's a lot of good things about sports. I, lo- I learned a lot of leadership uh, skills. I-, I played 17 years of football, close to that many of baseball, wrestled a couple years, played co- collegiate and post-collegiate ball. I get it. Love the game. Okay? But can I tell you something? There was a point in my life that I realized it had become a God. And all my time and energy was focused on it. And I realized for the first time, it wasn't going to fill me up. Even if I made it to the big time, whatever that is, okay, it wasn't going to fill me up. And parents, as you go along, my, my dad never missed a game. My parents were there, encouragement. But you know, one of the things they did, they made sure that we were going to be in church and we were going to participate in the things. That, sometimes I had a drug problem at, uh, at home. He drugged me, my dad drugged me to church every week, right? I get that, all right? I, I get that. But listen, I remember one time we played All-Stars. You guys know, talking about baseball. And we played in All-Stars, and we were playing a championship game in one game, and we had to miss the opening game of the other one. You know how bracket ball works is if you lose, you keep playing, right? Well, we got in the loser bracket. We kept winning, kept winning. We, out, of 15 day, or out of 16 days, we played 15 games. 15 days. Okay? We won on Saturday. We were going to have to play the next day. You know what time it was? Like 10 o'clock in the morning. We went to church. Now, I'm going to just tell you, there were times where I didn't like everything my parents had to say. And like many of you, I'm sick and tired of them. The next morning, I'm like, what's for breakfast, right? I mean, it's, it's over with. And I didn't agree with every decision, but I know my parents loved Jesus, and they did what was best and right, Okay. You know what's cool about that is they, we won that game. The next day I had to play on Monday, and I didn't think I was going to start because I'd missed that game. And God gave me a little play that I was able to, second baseman, I backhanded and whipped around, threw the guy out on first. And the coach, assistant coach came up to me and he goes, you play like that, you'll never be benched, right? I don't think it was me. I think God gave me that play. Allow me to play so the coach, it would, it would just diffuse anything the coach had in mind. And I'm just telling you, sometimes you live by faith, you do the right thing, that's all you can do, is just do the right thing and trust God for the results, okay? Trust God for the results. Now listen, I'm not sitting here saying that somehow being in church is the most religious thing, you should do it every, you know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about legalism. What I'm saying is this, we talk about in scripture where it says we have to discipline, Raise our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Is this idea we need to be setting a pattern for them. Who is God? If we set stuff and things up as God, they're going to be disappointed. Because those things are going to let them, let them down. And I promise you, 20 plus years of student ministry, I saw where things took over kids' lives. And then when they got out of high school, they walked away from the church because they weren't taught there was a God. Everything else was God's. Okay? So we need to understand that God is saying, keep me first. I want to read this stat. This is on high school boys, okay, for a second. I grabbed this stat. 95% will view porn by the age of 14. 75% of them will be unchurched after high school. 50% will be divorced after, once they get married. And then 
0.0001% will go to the MLB, Major League Baseball. Now, what should we focus on? Whole life. What should we focus on? Again, not picking on sports. I love baseball. I love football. Played my whole life. But we have to make sure our priorities are right. That God is in his place. The scriptures, uh, the other thing that Jesus is trying to say here, anyone who comes after me must hate even his own life. Even his own life. What does that really mean? It's this idea of understanding that we need to pursue joy over happiness. See, there's a belief in our, in our society today, and it's in our culture, and it's, it's pervasive in America. And it's this idea of this, that somehow happiness is a God-given right. And I don't see that in Scripture, okay? There is a belief that within our society that happiness is a God-given right. That's just not true. God has not come to make you happy. God has come to fill you with joy. Okay? There's a difference. Joy is a choice. Happiness is circumstances. Let me, I promise you, okay? Happiness can change on a dime, right? It can. I've, I found myself in it. When everything's running smooth and Ephesians 5 is working out all for everybody, right? And we're doing good, and then all of a sudden, wham! Something happens, and it goes from happy to completely upset, right? And, and up unhappy. So this idea that it can change on a dime. See, God-exalting, worshiping-creating, dark-day-sustained joy. The Bible says that they dragged Stephen out of Jerusalem and began to pelt him with rocks. Listen to this. They were trying to kill him by throwing rocks. I don't know of any good way to die, but that's not a good one, okay? And listen to what Stephen said. Father, don't hold this against him. Don't hold this against How could Stephen say that? See, it's not about happiness. Nobody in their right mind would say that's joy. But Stephen had a joy in him. I'm sorry, no one in the right man would say that's happiness. But, G- but Stephen had a joy in him that could not be removed because Jesus filled him and he was filled with joy. Disciples were arrested and beaten, then released. And they're telling uh, on and on. They're arrested and then they, they, uh, eventually many of them are killed. And he says, I know, but this is my joy. It can't be taken. Happiness can. Listen, the first thing that goes when difficult times hit is happiness. But joy in the Lord cannot be stolen. So here's what happened. God commands us and his people, he will go with them. I know what the Bible says, but I don't think I need to do that. This is kind of a picture of someone walking along this trail. Because if I do that, I'll be miserable God doesn't want me to be miserable. God would want me to be unhappy. And I'm, if I do that, it'll make me unhappy. So let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you just knew this thing was going to make you happy? And as soon as you got it, it went away. I think about this all the time. 
We ride by places that are dumps. I got a good friend in here who's in the salvage business. At some time before that car was crushed, it was somebody's brand new car, right? And they were showing it off, and they were waxing on, wax off. They were, they were doing it all, right? Their pride and joy. Sure, the smell was good, okay? And that was their pride and joy. And again, I'm not saying, just like last week, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having nice things. But when it becomes your source, how quick that first scratch got, and then that person rear-ends you, and, right? And you got this dent from here because your kid took it out, and he didn't have permission to take it out, right? I mean, whatever it may be, right? And then you see this, and all of a sudden, the joy goes away. The joy goes away. See, the reality is we need to chase joy, not happiness. It's a gift from God. So let's, with everything we've got, let's chase joy like it's gold. Because that is what cannot be taken from us. Beware of the pursuit of happiness over the pursuit of joy. This is what God is reminding us. And then it goes on in verse 27, says this, whoever does not bear his own cross cannot come after me, cannot be my disciple. Think about that. He said the cross. Now, I want you to understand when this is written, the cross had not happened yet, but they were familiar with the cross. The Roman Empire did not create it, but they perfected it. It was a brutal way to die. And it says, whoever cannot pick up his own cross, what does that mean? Well, for us to know what it means, we need to go back to Hebrews, Hebrews 12. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely. That, that cloud of witness, all those believers that came through before us, this great hall of faith, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, counted it joy. Joy that was set before him, enduring the cross. Now, I want us to think about this. We hear that, but if those people that know their New Testament, know what they've re- read before, is we see this picture when Jesus, before the night he was arrested, he went into the garden. Funny that, it's not funny, but it's how Adam was in a garden. He had a choice. Thousands of years later, Jesus, the second Adam, the perfect Adam, was in a garden. He had a choice. He said, Father, I wish this cup could pass from me. Listen, but not my will, your will be done. Listen, it's this idea of understanding. Our joy comes from abiding and trusting in Christ. That's in Matthew 26, 39. It says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I, but as your will be done. 
So we see that the human side of Jesus saw that this was going to be great pain and suffering, but he knew his true joy came from serving the Father and doing the will of the Father. Even when Jesus, uh, his disciples would go away and come back and he says, you want something to eat? And he'd say, no, I've I'm eating foods you don't know about. And they're like, what, did somebody sneak him a Happy Meal? What's going on over here? No, he is doing the will of the Father. To do the will of the Father fills Jesus up. Gave him great joy. In the same way for us, it gives us joy to do the will of the Father. So understanding to follow, follow Christ, to be one of his disciples, is not easy. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus. I'm talking about all the many years I spent on the field and in the gym working out and doing exercises and rehabilitations from injuries and hard hits. It's the hardest thing I've ever done is to live for Jesus, to be committed to him. But when I tell you something, that God uses these things to sanctify us. See, like our family, our spouse, our kids. They're not to be a source of our life. They're big gifts. But they're also gifts to us in the sense that God uses them to sanctify us, to, to brush off the rough edges. God gave you a husband or wife to help you be more like him. He's given you children to drive you up the wall sometimes to be more like him. Okay? The greatest tool of sanctification in those lives are those gifts. But this is reality that just as Jesus saw that it was going to be suffering and, and pain, but he knew there was joy in obedience. This is what he is saying here in Luke, that do not follow your own way. Do not make your kids, your spouse, your friends, whatever that pastime is, your source of life. It has to, uh, has to be only a gift of life. And then verse 28 says this, and for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether you have enough to complete it. Listen, there's a cost to following Christ. It's called to die to self. You've got to crucify that flesh. You've got to die to self. Not even able to give up his own life cannot be a disciple. See, in other words, you have to step off the throne of your heart, and you need to allow Christ to come on the throne of your heart. You have no longer get priority in your life. Now Christ does. You don't get to do what you want to do. You get to follow the Father. Listen, who created you, who designed you, who knows what's best for you, Listen, when you follow him, it's not always easy, but it's best because he's a good father and he created you and he knows what's best for you. I was going out in the woods this weekend and I took my daughter out to a little place. A friend of mine let me go. I was a little blind and we were walking through our woods and she kept wanting to come around me. And I noticed every time she'd come around me, she'd get caught in briars or jump, fall over a stick or whatever. And I kept saying, Hope, get behind me, baby. Get behind me. Because I'm going to clear the path for you. When I step down the briars, you come behind me and step right on those briars. When I move that stick, you come right behind me and I'm going to hold that stick for you. See, when you follow 
the Father. When you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added. Mark 10, 27-31 says this, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were, with man, it's exceedingly astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And Jesus said, and looked at them and said, With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus. And truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or land for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundred time fold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mother and children's land. But listen, with persecution, I will reward you in the age to come. Seek me first. And then he goes on to say, and the first shall be uh, last, and the last shall be first. It's this idea of an upside-down kingdom. When the world's chasing everything around us, you're chasing the Father, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, this isn't prosperity gospel. This is what Jesus said. What he's saying, he's not going to get everything you want. He's going to provide all your needs. He's going to take care of you. Just as I'll walk in the, in, the, um, in the forest before my daughter and walk behind and clear the way, he is going to clear the way for you. He's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. That's why it takes faith to follow, to abide. And then it goes on 29 and 30 where it says, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, he is not able to finish it. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish There is a cost. The cost is to self and self-centeredness. And when we die to that and we live for him, we gain. We gain. See, we can, can, uh, Matthew 16 says, we can gain the whole world yet forfeit our soul. What can we give in exchange for our soul? Nothing. We're going to give our soul to something. Is it going to be this world and ultimately the second death, or is it going to be the Christ? And listen, he's a good father. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to follow him. Listen, who does not even renounce his own life or anything he has cannot be a disciple. Listen, anyone who comes to Jesus must give up all his possessions. Listen, this idea, the word literally means to take leave of. Jesus is not advocating socialism here or to get rid of everything and have this giant yard sale and live in a small house, okay? What he's saying is this, or even a life of poverty. What Jesus' point is this, that those who come after me must recognize, listen, you are a steward of everything and an owner of nothing. You are a steward of everything and an owner of nothing. Listen, your own life you don't even own. He gives you the breath. He makes your heart beat. I'll never forget that time where I was watching the 60-minute special on this heart surgeon many years ago, and he was, the guy was walking through him, and this, this person died, and they give this person a heart, and they medevacted out there, and it was in this ice, and they hook up everything, and they got the blood flowing through the machine, and all of a sudden, he goes, I can explain everything, but I can't explain this, and the, and the warm blood goes through the heart, and it just starts pumping. He said, that little electric pulse that everybody has in their heart, we can't explain I can explain it's from the Father above. Listen, you are living in his world, breathing his oxygen, taking up his land. Give your heart to the Father. Give your heart to the Father. 
He knows you. He loves you. He sent his greatest gift, his son, for you. And then it goes on to say this in verse 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if lost is saltiness, how can it be restored? See, salt really could not be contaminated but by one thing in those days. Okay? It was, if it was taken from the, the Dead Sea, the salt, there was this thing called gypsum, which could contaminate it. And that gypsum was used as a main ingredient for fertilizer. But then when it would combine with the salt, it wasn't even good for, at that point, fertilizer, which is what manure was used for. Okay? It wasn't even good for that anymore. And what he's saying in this is this. This guy who says, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus, and he sticks a foot in and says, oh, I think that's too, too great a price for me. He's like this man who's built this foundation, and people drive by it every day, and they see the, the grass is overgrown and all the construction supplies out there and never decided to truly follow Jesus. Listen, he's reminding us of this. If we're a follower of Jesus and we have turned our back, listen, God loves you. He cares for you. It says, whoever's tasted the Lord knows that he's good. Persevere. Abide in him. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Lead pastor Rick Nicely will conclude his sermon with the big question coming up. Spotswood at Ladysmith exists to glorify God by advancing His kingdom through obedience to His Great Commission. To know more, to find resources, and to interact with us, please visit our website, spotswoodls.org, or find us on Facebook and Instagram, SpotswoodLS. Now, here's Rick with the conclusion to this week's sermon. I want to leave you with this big question this morning. This verse is this. First, will you, will you come to Jesus? Will you? Listen, I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about doing religious activity. I'm not talking about reading your Bible on a regular basis. All those things are good. All those things are good. I am talking about have you given your heart to the Father? Have you surrendered him to come, self to him? Have you stepped off the throne of your heart and allowed him to come and have dominion? Listen, he doesn't want just your den. He doesn't just want your bedroom. He wants every room in the house. He wants the land the house is setting on. He wants it all, okay? Have you let him come in and take over? And the other thing is this. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you have, but there's, there's this, like this time you, you feel like you, you started this thing and now you've forsaken it. And, and Jesus says, come home. Jesus says, listen, repent. Come back to me. Just like the next week you're going to hear about the prodigal son. Come back. Come back. I'm here. I love you. I know what's best for you. Surrender to me. Listen, if you need help, there are plenty of men and women in this room that want to help. We're not perfect. We're broken just like you. We're on this journey of faith where we get up each day and we follow him and mess up and we repent and get back on. Okay? Get back up. A righteous man falls, but he gets up and follows Jesus. This is what we're saying. This is what Jesus is saying. Do you still have your saltiness? Are you still binding me? Do you still... When you go out, do you, do you still give good taste in people's mouths from the way you treat people and, and love people in my name? Will you stand?
people here down here this morning. We want to pray for you. If you want to make a decision for Christ, we want to help you. If you want to get baptized, whatever, we want to pray for you. We want to love on you today. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. God, thank you for your many gifts. God, I just pray you will bless this time. Use it for your kingdom, Father. Do what only you can do, and that's to change hearts and lives forever. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. This week, the cost of discipleship was in view as lead pastor Rick Nicely continued his series in the book of Luke, a message from Luke 14, 25 through 35. It was shared with the congregation at Spotswood at Ladysmith on October 14, 2018. These podcasts are available weekly on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to spotswoodls.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.